0: Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, recorded on April 26, 2018, before the premiere of Unbound D, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood in conversation with choreographer Stanton Welch. Hope you enjoy. Um, So I wanna welcome those of you who came out and realized that this starts at 6.30 tonight and that the performance starts at 7.30. Um, Thank you all for making it. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet, and welcome. You are going to be treated this evening to the opening night of the Unbound Festival of New Works Program D. And I hope you're keeping track. And you're also going to be treated now to a conversation with uh, one of the choreographers whose work actually premiered on program... C, <laughs> uh, earlier in the week, Stanton Welch. Hello. So, thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. To be with us tonight. Um, the, uh, how many of you now have seen others of this, the uh, festival, right? And how many of you actually saw Program C? So you've Fair number of folks, so they'll have some context Correct. for our conversation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Stanton is one of the of the twelve. There are a number whose work is familiar to San Francisco Ballet audiences, and this is, I believe, your seventh. Commission for San Francisco Ballet over a number of years, and I was just remembering that some of you might recall the United We Dance Festival, which took place in the 50th anniversary of the United Nations Charter signing in 1995, and Stanton had choreographed a work that was performed by his home company, the Australian Ballet, which was performed in that festival. So the rest, I guess, is a little bit of history that you've been um, coming here and doing works ever since. Yes. So what I th- would love for you to do for us is just um, give us that trajectory. Give us the, the journey that took you from your beginnings in ballet to this moment.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, the United We Dance Festival was a very uh, special time, I think, for, for me, and I think for many companies, because it was a representation of each country. And that we got to bring, come from uh, out with our companies and with work that sort of represented our country. And I came with a piece uh, with music by John Antill. And the music was called Corroboree. And it was a 10 minute piece. And uh, it was a really big deal. <laughs> and it was an amazing festival because backstage we were all together all the time. Um, and it's not often you get to sit with your uh, comrades from other countries uh, and to see their work and to see them in class. We had shared classes. It was a really like an Olympian, Olympic thing. And uh, it, it really uh, began my career in America. And from there, Helgi asked me to do a ballet for San Francisco Ballet and that ballet was Meninas. Right. And, uh, and then I, I started working in America.
0: So, your uh, career more or less launched in Australia, um, but um, rumor has it that you spent a little time right here on Franklin.
1: I did. I came to San Francisco Ballet School, so uh, I came here for a year and a half, and uh, from there I went back and joined the Australian Ballet, where I danced for 11 years, and during that time I began to choreograph, and uh, during that time, while I was dancing, I came here and made many years and made several ballets um, So I was still a dancer with the Australian Ballet at that time.
0: And then from there, you moved to?
1: I moved to New York to be a freelance choreographer for a couple of years, and then I got the directorship in Houston, and I've been artistic director there of Houston Ballet for 15 years.
0: And I was also recollecting that when we were all involved in the World Ballet Day last October, um, San Francisco Ballet tossed half an hour to the Houston Ballet. And the big topic of conversation was the very recent devastation of the hurricane. Sure. Can you just give us an update on how you all are doing? Because they were knocked out of their rehearsal facilities. Everything. And Theatres. And, and
1: we're still out of our home. Um, it was a historic flood for Houston, and I'm a pretty skeptical person, so I didn't believe all the newscasting, and I got in my car and I drove downtown. And about halfway downtown, you couldn't drive any further. And then we waded to the ballet building, which was already about knee height. And that was the, the ballet building. And the theatre is lower than that. So we had in our ballet building, the ground floor was damaged, which is about three studios and uh, a black box theatre. Um, but we were back on our feet within a week and a half in that building, uh, not to use those places, but the school and the company are up on the higher floors. So we, we could function. But the Wortham Theatre where we perform is still closed and will be closed till September of this year. So we've spent the entire year taking all of our ballets to different theatres around Houston, um, including the brand-new Nutcracker, picking it up and taking it on the road uh, to a few venues. It's really been a very uh, interesting time. I've lost a lot of weight, which I was very appreciative for. But... uh, Yeah, and we're not through that yet. Um, We have two more programs this season. Uh, One, we've moved into a convention hall and we've put the seats in a circle, so it'll be a ballet in the round. And I've made four ballets for that uh, that will be circular in some way that uh, can appeal to that kind of seating. And then we finish back in Jones Hall, which was the original venue for Houston Ballet with Swan Lake. And then we wait. And next year, for the first time, like San Francisco Ballet, all of our reps will be together because we're not going to perform until after Christmas. And then we do reps one, two, three, four, five, six consecutively. Um, And that's just to deal with the storm. We felt it was better to wait until the theatre reopened and to give a little bit of a buffer in case there were some constructual issues.
0: Well, we wish you the very best. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, I... Remembering when we were out of the Opera House, which was having Seismus. It was Up- that year. Was that? In- yeah,
1: you were at the Yerba Buena so you- Center, and I I made the ballet in your year that you were out. <laughs> we were of out, the but, Opera yeah. House.
0: So we're yeah. Well, we. So we're I, rem- I
1: sort of remember it.
0: All sympathy. Um, well, let's now narrow our focus to the Unbound Festival of New Works, and I wonder if you could just take us back to that day that you got the call two or three years ago, whenever it was, uh, inviting your participation and, you know, just respond. How did that, how did it flow?
1: Well, I always get a little nervous when I see a phone call from Helgi. (laughs) It always makes my heart race because I I admire him so much and I've known him for so long. Um, And so it it was wonderful. And I think, again, like the United We Dance Festival, to be here with 12 other choreographers... Um, often as a choreographer you, you live this kind of nomadic life you don't see each other I do a ballet then I leave and the next person comes and does a ballet and they leave and you know of each other but you don't know each other so this has really created that opportunity to come watch each other work in the studio to to see how everybody responds to the same dances uh, it's really been fascinating I think I've learnt more from that process you know from a and then, of course, it's wonderful to sit here. I've, I've gotten to see all the programs and to see 12 people's work in a week, that is extraordinary. Uh, it's really a festival and it's really a unique thing. I mean, uh, it, it, you'd want to travel here just to see that. You don't get to see that kind of workload in such a short period. Not to mention the amazing dancers.
0: The work that ended up on the stage Tuesday is we called it bespoke. Um, uh, what was the germ? What was? Uh, well, well, we've heard from many of the other choreographers what the assignment was, so to speak. But I'd love to hear it in your words. How you heard it from Helgi, and then how you began the work that has ended up here.
1: Sure, I thought it was a unique experience to come and uh, to have a collection of dancers and from that collection I really wanted to make a work that reflected them directly. Um, I didn't want to come in with any preconceived ideas or or an agenda of my own. It was wonderful music and then to take this group of wonderful dancers and see if I could make something exactly on them. And that's where the title Bespoke came from and... uh, to be tailor-made, to be crafted precisely on their musicality, on how they interact with each other. Um, so that became what my puzzle was. I didn't want to adorn it very much. I wanted it to be very pure and just about their movement, their technique, their, their dancing to this music. And, and yeah.
0: And that music, if I'm doing the math right, 11, 10 and a half... Of the other pieces are to some sort of contemporary music. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, think, I, think. I haven't actually. Counted. And yours.
1: I'm old-fashioned.
0: And one little bit of one of the ones you'll see tonight. Um, you reached back a bit, so why why Bach?
1: Well, uh, it, it was in a conversation about music, and uh, you know the the initial instinct was uh, I wanted to to maybe do something that was flashy and and young, because I'm feeling old now, I'm nearly 50, I'm probably one of the oldest people in the festival, Um, so (laughs) and then it it became a conversation about including the orchestra and then including a type of dancing and I felt like as soon as I connected to that to make a classical ballet on these specific dances, then I needed something that was that type of music and I I find the Bach really... uh, Emotional and very pure. Um, and I also thought it would be different. I thought it would be something that would not... would be different.
0: And so the work that you have created, um, tailor-made, bespoke, for these dancers, and I'm going to let you use adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, one of the terms that some people throw out is neoclassical movement. Sure. Um... And here we are in this contemporary festival. So I'm wondering if you have some thoughts about where does classical stop and neoclassical pick up and where does neoclassical stop and contemporary pick up? Well, for
1: me, I just like to call it dance. And then I'm done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because I, I, I don't, when I make something, clarify that in my thought process. When I made Le Bayadere or Giselle, I very much tried to be exact to that frame. But when it's something like this it was it was my it was free I felt free so you know here are some extraordinary technical classical dancers and we train every day in these classes to be this level of perfection so I wanted to make a work that reflected that in some way and the idea was that that it was your relationship with ballet so I've been connected to Houston, uh, San Francisco Ballet since 1988, and it's 30 years ago. And I've watched many of my friends dance and have this rich, full dance career and stop dancing and then teach dance and then choreograph or direct. It, it was sort of uh, ballet keeps moving and you get this short little relationship with ballet and then it leaves you and it it keeps going and you're, you're left and you can be angry or bitter or you can be... In love, uh, it's it's a strange feeling, and it gives me goosebumps when I think about it because of my own reactions to that. So that's what the ballet was about: the pas de deux and the end was was your conversation with your love for ballet, for classical ballet. And sometimes that's about doing hard steps and being perfect and fast, and it feels good to move like that. And and sometimes it's sad, and no matter what you do it leaves you. There are dancers whose careers are finished from a freak accident. There are dancers who dance until they're 50. It's, it's random. It, 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 it's, uh, and that's what I wanted to capture.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, backing up a little to the actual assignment, um, most of you know by now that the company was divided into three teams, if you will. Um, how early on... You mentioned that you didn't come into the into the studio with too much of a preconceived idea, yeah. but did you know... How, how early on did you know which of these dancers... I got a gonna list,
1: gonna but pick? I didn't know many of the lists. I knew Frances, and I had mm-hmm. I'd worked with her before, so I, I mm-hmm. felt really great about that. And I'd seen Mathilde dance Sugar Plum, and I'd love that. And I knew Jennifer Stoll from the school uh, from years back. Uh, so I knew... And other than that, I didn't know many people. So it was really walking in and, and going, okay, let's start moving. And this is, my, this is what I feel. And uh, yeah.
0: It's just that's one of the things that has fascinated me, watching how the choreographers just kind of, as you say, took a list and said well let's see what we can do with it." yeah
1: you had to you had to that was part of the challenge and i think that that is exciting it's also exciting to see each choreographer take the same group of dancers and work with them and see who who is prominent in every ballet who is what duet did you not think of doing that i did and i I find that really Mm -hmm. fascinating um
0: one of the before we open it up to our audience for questions um And for those of you who wandered in late, I'm speaking with Stanton Welch, who choreographed Bespoke, which premiered on Tuesday. We'll get to see it again, I think, tomorrow, which is Friday. And then I've lost track. I I was going to make notes. You know, it comes back two more times after that, so it gets four performances. Um, The... Question that has been in a lot of the publicity about this festival has been where is ballet going? What is the future of ballet? And I'm going to start with a declarative statement. I think that your work definitely shows us how far we've come. Maybe pushing some edges a little. Um, where do you think ballet is headed?
1: It's funny because I'm now old enough to look back and when I started making ballet and I was 21 when I had my sort of first commissioned ballet and it was a ballet called Divergence in Australia and I had rubber tutus and and rubber bras and it was all uh, grunge and I was that generation X and I felt young and current. And I would be asked that question (laughs) and I would say, well, it's a reflection of, of everything, of all of life, of all of dance, all the time. And, and now I'm 30 years past that time, and I look, and I, th- I think it's the same. I think ballet is very alive and well. I think the tradition of ballet is alive and well. Uh, there are great classical ballet dancers in the world. You see many of them on stage tonight. Uh, there are kids that love learning ballet. There are great ballet companies. Uh, America is full of great ballet companies. So it, it seems alive and well. Um, And it seems that we have to ask that question because some of it is like uh, exploration, so we don't know what we're going to get. We have to explore and the braver you are in that exploration, the further the art form can move. Um, And that's what's so amazing about this festival for Helgi and and the company to make that commitment to say we're going to put on 12 adventures um, and each one is a gamble and how great that the city and, and, and the public support that because without that, how could we move forward? So that is it moving forward. This is, this is what this program is. Um, and I, 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 re, I feel strong in the belief that classical ballet is, is alive and well. And I, if we stop trying to define it and just let it be, <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that uh, we'll see that more.
0: I can appreciate that. Uh, Let's see if any of you have questions for Stanton. Yes. When does contemporary dance leave ballet? Good question.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think it has to do a little bit with technique and the shape and what you expect from the shape. So I'll use someone who I'm a big fan of, Yuri Killian, as an example. I think the Killian ballets, their training is classical ballet class in the morning. And then there was something very much about the lines that he made even though they were always in flat shoes, so my first response to you is, "Oh, it's point shoes," and I always work in point shoes. But it's not. You know, um, you can be in flat shoes and still. N- it's about line and shape. Um, we just did a Merce Cunningham ballet in Houston uh, with the Houston Ballet dancers, and their beauty of their line and their training in that work, I thought, elevated everything. So I think. It's hard to know where that line is and it shifts. And and my personal reaction is about how I feel from the ballet. Did they understand our language? And to deconstruct it, you have to love it and then you can pull it apart. But if, or you don't understand it. And and that's a personal reaction, I think, for each of us. So it's a super hard question. (laughs) And I don't really know the answer.
0: I think it's just blending. I think it there's is. been a pendulum of um, ballet was on one end and yes. so-called modern dance was on the other end, but I think it's really
1: shifting. And, I mean, think back to Glenn Tetley when, when contractions were suddenly in point shoes. And that was 1960. That was, you know, when I was born. Um, so so that's, all, that's all around. And, I mean, in the program that we're making for In the Round, I deliberately made a point shoe ballet, a flat shoe ballet, a sneaker ballet to make the audience have diversity and challenge myself. But they're all needed to be classical ballet dancers. They all needed to know my language and to know what line was.
0: Interesting, okay, another question. Oh, um, so sorry. we have to repeat the yeah. question, yeah. Um, she's referencing the Ballet Bespoke and it starts with a solo dancer on stage moving Uh, in silence, no music. And then at this magic moment when the conductor and the dancer are in tune, so to speak, um, the music starts. So what was your decision? Why was your decision to do that?
1: Well, Angelo is an amazing artist. And uh, it was based on when you come in to work on a ballet, often the dancers are in there warming up before you begin. And you watch them and you see them and they're watching themselves. He's often in the beginning of the ballet staring as though there's a mirror there, as though he's warming himself up, getting ready for the ballet that's coming. And it's so much a a part of tradition of what we all go through that I wanted to have a reflection of that. And I also think it builds intensity because you, you watched him and it's so articulate and he's so concentrated and so precise And it makes us all feel like, oh, what's going to happen? So when the music comes, it's a relief in a way because you know that there's a phrasing and it's going to follow that tune. But without the music, I could play with that that suspension in a little while
0: and it's a great moment i just love the it illustrates that communication between the conductor and the dancer yes
1: absolutely because
0: he just takes a preparation takes a breath and the orcs, the conductor raises his baton and yeah. and i
1: like that in ballets that they yeah. the conductor and the dancer has uh, interaction and, and because there is definitely this uh ebb and flow between uh the two
0: yeah um, another, let's... I think there was one back there, but let's go here. Okay, we're talking about a repertoire piece, Meyerling, and how much the lady would like to see it, and the Houston Ballet performs it. So a um, yes, couple it, words about it. Uh, it.
1: It has taken me 14 years to get that ballet to Houston Ballet, um, and not myself alone, but with the executive directors. We had a, a trial that... Uh, we bought a set that burnt in South America. I mean, it was, it was just like the hurricane. It was this fight to get to it. And then we got it, and its premiere season was disrupted by the hurricane. Um, but we got to do it at Jones Hall, and I really think it's a masterpiece. And I think for the dancers, it's an extraordinary journey. Choreographer. Um, uh, Sir Kenneth McMillan is the choreographer, and it's... A very dark story, uh, Prince Rudolph and his many mistresses and wives, he commits suicide at the end of the ballet. It's a dark, dark ballet. But it's, it's true art, and And the people sat on the edge of their seat, and it's a really wonderful piece, and, and we would love to tour it around America. That is ultimately our plan. But, um, yeah, we just... I'm looking forward to bringing it back now, and we can put it back on our beautiful stage. And uh, not that the hobby centre disrupted that in any way, but it it wasn't its full capacity. Um, But it's a wonderful, wonderful ballet. And yeah, it's uh, our next year is already programmed, and the year after is our fiftieth anniversary, which is going to be a big celebration. And then it's it's the beginning of that following year. But um. the flights are pretty cheap to Houston. <laughs> I've come back and forth myself a lot.
0: Great. Um, okay, we have time for one more question. It was yours. Can you really speak up, please?
1: Yeah, so I think the question was about what is going to happen to classical ballet, old classical ballets, if you just saw the Russian version and the mime scene was edited. I'm trying to repeat. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I'm not, I, I can't speak of that, that production, Um, We just remade our own Giselle in Houston last year and we spent a lot of effort putting all the mime and the context back in. I think mime in itself has evolved. I don't think you need to say crown and heart with such distinction, but the mime is still there in a body language sense. It's not removed and only dance, if that's what you're referring to. I do think that uh, storytelling is is alive... Uh, it 's just the breaks between stopping and having a ten minute mime sequence then breaking out of that have changed, but I do think that mime is still a part of of classical ballet i just can 't speak of the version that you 've seen
0: well i 'm afraid we are i 'm getting the rumblings that tell us that our time is up, and I want to before we absolutely wrap up say um, the unbound symposium starts tomorrow evening, 6 p.m., here in the Opera House, free, open to the public with a a panel discussion. And then I believe if you go to the website and click on Learn More and Buy Tickets, there are still openings for the sessions on Saturday and Sunday. Discussions, panels um, with people from all over the country, I think maybe even internationally, talking about the future of ballet, ballet and technology, ballet and um, athleticism, and so on. So I hope you will all take advantage of that. And now I'm going to say thank you again, Stephen. You. This has been delightful. Enjoy this evening's performance. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programming, check out sfballet.org explore.